Welcome to episode 10 of the TTM Academy podcast. I'm your co-host, Philippe Tran, and I'm here today with Dr. Ben Abella, editor-in-chief of the TTM Academy and director of the Center for Sustainable Science here at University of Pennsylvania. TTM Academy is a comprehensive educational platform developed by the Center of Resuscitation Science designed to provide training in all aspects of post-cardiac arrest care, including targeted temperature management. You can check us out at penttm.com, where you can find all episodes of this podcast and much more, including online training courses, live courses, and workshops. You can also follow us on Twitter at penttm, where you can send us your questions or ideas for future topics you would like us to discuss. Today, we're going to be discussing the role of targeted temperature management in patients that survived cardiac arrest due to opioid overdose. Ben, take it away. Thank you, Felipe. So first, a little bit of context for our listeners. As most listeners are well aware, the opioid epidemic is really a major problem in the United States and in other countries as well. It is causing the tragic loss of many young lives. It is afflicting people across all socioeconomic divisions in our society. Um, And it's a problem that is unlikely to go away anytime soon. Of course, there's very important work on prevention and treatment. But the topic of cardiac arrest from opioid overdose is understudied and is worthy of study as certainly many patients come to the emergency department in either pending cardiac arrest or in full cardiac arrest. Now, it's important to note that when people suffer cardiac arrest from opioids, it tends to be from a respiratory cause and hypoxia associated with that. So usually when patients have an arrest from opioid overdose, the arrest is a bradycardic PEA rhythm or asystole. So ventricular fibrillation is much less common in this population, and we'll go through some of the data for that. It's also important to note for context that there have been no randomized trials looking at the use of targeted temperature management in this subpopulation of cardiac arrest patients. So to address the question of whether TTM works for patients after opioid overdose cardiac arrest, we rely only on lower quality observational data. And that's the data I want to summarize today. So this is less going to be about one journal article today, but rather a summary of several articles that we will synthesize to address this topic. First, what are the outcomes from opioid overdose cardiac arrest? And then what is the potential role for targeted temperature management in these patients? So that's our assignment today. One final context note, Many listeners are well aware that there have been randomized trials, a number of them, for targeted temperature management after cardiac arrest more generally. For example, the landmark Bernard and Hacke trials from 2002, the more recent Nielsen trial, also known as the TTM trial from 2013. There have been duration and depth of temperature trials. The vast majority of the patients enrolled in these studies have not been opioid overdose patients, but rather patients either with ventricular fibrillation, cardiac arrest, or presumed cardiac etiology, so a very different population than the opioid overdose patients. And that's our segue to the first study that I'd like to discuss that really just sort of explores the context for who are these patients and how do they do. And this is a paper from the Pittsburgh Resuscitation Group, uh, Salcedo et al., 2016 in resuscitation. You can see the full citation for this in our show notes. This paper from several years ago evaluated the Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium cohort. This is a large out-of-hospital cardiac arrest cohort um, in 10 regional centers in the United States and Canada. And it's a fantastic resource, a large registry essentially, to look at a variety of epidemiologic questions. And this group wanted to ask the question, 
who gets opioid overdose cardiac arrest? What are these patients' characteristics? And then what are the outcomes compared to other etiologies, compared to the standard population of patients with cardiac arrest? They included EMS-assessed and treated out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, so a fairly standard sort of concept, the dead on arrival or pronounced dead in the field were not included. And they found from a very large population of cardiac arrest patients in these 10 centers, they found 1,351 were related to opioid overdose, so over 1,000 patients in their cohort. As far as the characteristics of this cohort, as you might expect, they were younger than most other cardiac arrest victims on average. So for the entire cohort, the median age was 67. For opioid overdose cardiac arrest, it was 41. So it's already, you can see, different. This population also had a much lower rate of bystander CPR. Although what was interesting was they had the same distribution of location of arrest, more or less, in that about 80% of all the cohort and about 80% of the opioid overdose patients had their arrest in private residence or the home. And we all know that if someone has an arrest in public, they're much more likely to receive bystander CPR. So it's interesting that even though most patients had their arrest in the home, between both the whole population and opioid overdose, the opioid overdose population had much lower bystander CPR. This probably speaks to the fact that many people who are using opioids and having overdose are doing so alone, which is, of course, a major problem because no one can respond, rescue them, call 911, and or perform bystander CPR. As far as the arrest characteristics of opioid overdose patients, much more were asystole, as you might expect. So in this cohort, 60% of the presenting rhythms of opioid overdose arrest patients were asystole. However, it's important to note there was still some ventricular fibrillation. About 8% of these patients had V-fib. So V-fib is not impossible to see in opioid overdose. It can occur, and one should be aware of that. Now, is this somehow related to other underlying cardiac rhythm abnormalities or other uh, drug use medications that prolong QT, who knows. Uh, but VFib did occur with some frequency in the opioid overdose population. Now here's the interesting part. They found that the return of spontaneous circulation rate, that is the rate of getting the pulse back, and the survival rate were better for the opioid overdose cardiac arrests, even when adjusting for this age and other key treatments. You might imagine in an unadjusted analysis, sure, they might survive better. They're younger. Many of them quickly reverse with Narcan and intubation. But when they controlled for these things pretty carefully in this study, and they found that survival was still somewhat better. So what does this mean? I think this first study, beyond being helpful to describe this population for the first time, who gets opioid overdose and what are they uh, like characteristic-wise, but it also presents, I think, the following important bottom line, that opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients can survive. They may, in fact, survive better than your average cardiac arrest patient, and therefore post-arrest care considerations are important. Said another way, we can't write this population off. We can't say, oh, you had an opioid overdose cardiac arrest. We barely got you back with uh, 10, 15 minutes of CPR. Uh, Outcomes are going to be awful. No, these patients can survive and can recover as a proof of concept. So I think that's one of the most important um, takeaways from this 2016 paper. Now, if that's true, that opioid overdose patients can survive, and uh, perhaps they might do better than many other cardiac arrest patients, It's important to consider what to do for them. And then this leads to our second question. Is TTM indicated for opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients? What are the data? And as I mentioned early in the podcast, there are no randomized trials for this. So um, buyer beware. I'm I'm not going to be able to tell you a definitive answer today. What I will be able to do, though, is share with you some of the data on groups that have used TTM 
for opioid overdose. And the first paper I'd like to turn to is from our team uh, by Katz et al. 2015. This was really just an observational cohort looking at patients who had cardiac arrest and then the subset who are identified as opioid overdose. This work was from something called the PATH Registry, the Penn Alliance for Therapeutic Hypothermia Registry, which is a multi-center registry of cardiac arrest patients and post-arrest care. Patients were included from 2005 to 2013, so a fairly broad range, but a, a modern cohort. And in over 2,000 cardiac arrest events, 64 patients were identified as having opioid overdose, confirmed by chart evaluation and data abstraction. So we had a relatively small number, but 64 patients who had opioid overdose, cardiac arrest, who got their pulse back, by the way. I should point out all the patients in PATH were people who had a return of spontaneous circulation. When we looked at survival to discharge, whether you had your arrest from opioid overdose or from other causes, survival is about the same. In our hands, patients with opioid overdose had a 16% survival to discharge rate compared to 19% for all patients. That was a non-significant difference. And CPC1 survival was 13% with opioid overdose and 16% for non-opioid, also not significant. Takeaway so far, confirming the work from Pittsburgh, patients in our hands who had opioid overdose survived just as well as patients with non-opioid-related cardiac arrest. And in fact, proof of concept, we could get people with CPC1, cerebral performance category 1, to leave the hospital after opioid overdose cardiac arrest. So again, these patients deserve some attention, and there is a note of at least potential optimism. Now, in our cohort, 64% of the opioid overdose patients received TTM. Unfortunately, this really meant that only about 40 received TTM and 20 did not. So unfortunately, we weren't able to do a statistical analysis that's worthwhile, but I can tell you, and this isn't in the paper, that survival was somewhat higher in the TTM group. So TTM certainly didn't hurt this population. I can also tell you that the adverse effects were identical. So at least from our work, it seems possible to do TTM. Adversity is not worse. Survival was not worse. But this didn't show that TTM worked for this group of patients. It just showed that it could be done. And I'll say that throughout the University of Pennsylvania to this time, we still consider opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients eligible for TTM therapy. So we do it despite the lack of randomized trial evidence. But just again, based on basic principles, these patients have a high uh, risk of brain injury. They have cerebral hypoxia during their arrest and post-arrest care. And so, so we believe TTM may be of value to reduce cerebral edema and improve outcomes. Okay, but is there any evidence that directly shows that TTM may help? That's where we turn to a paper that just came out this year um, by Khan et al. in 2019. Again, full citations can be found in the podcast show notes. This was a study from Sinai uh, Hospital in New York City from emergency medicine colleagues there. It was a single center a study of their tertiary academic medical center. Again, patients sort of from the modern era, 2011 to 2015, they had 923 cardiac arrest patients in their cohort, and they identified 121 as having opioid overdose. So in their hands, a much higher percentage of opioid overdose compared to at Penn in the PATH registry. That may speak to the kind of patient sign I receives. I don't know, but that's what they found. Among these 121 opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients, 29 received TTM and 92 did not receive TTM. And they found that TTM was strongly associated with survival with an odds ratio of 11. So a very strong association of survival when post-arrest cooling is invoked. However, here's the caveat. It's important to note this was not a uh, randomized trial. So a clinician had to decide 
to give TTM for a given patient. And this is a really important note of bias when clinicians have to make a decision about care. Now, they looked at this and tried to control for a variety of factors, but nonetheless, somebody felt the patient might have a better chance of survival, they might have applied TTM. If someone was felt to be more abundant, maybe they didn't receive TTM. Now, one way they did try to control for this is, is they removed patients who were moved quickly to palliative care, and they found that there was still an association of better survival with TTM. So the takeaway here, while the quality of evidence is not high, it's not an RCT, clinicians on the ground had to make a decision of care, which may introduce biases. Nonetheless, they found that in this population of over 100 opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients, TTM was associated with better survival. So take with it what you will. Is that all because of physician bias? Is it because TTM may help these patients? Certainly, the animal evidence from decades of animal work using models of asystole where one actually uh, allows pigs or dogs or rats, this is done in a variety of animals, to basically have a respiratory cardiac arrest, which is very similar to opioid overdose cardiac arrest. That's been a standard model in the laboratory for years, and in all of those models, TTM works. So there's good mechanistic evidence from the animal laboratory to support the hypothesis that TTM might work for these patients. That is, a pig that's put into cardiac arrest by blocking the ET tube or by turning off the ventilator, and those pigs have a bradycardic PEA to a systole arrest, that looks for all the world like the pathophysiology of an opioid overdose cardiac arrest. So it makes sense that it might work. So we're left with some weak evidence supporting TTM. One paper from our group showing it can be done and it may not worsen outcomes and has no adverse effects. Another paper from Sinai showing that may be associated with better outcomes. And an epidemiologic paper showing that these patients deserve our time and attention because they can survive. So that's sort of the summary of this fairly recent subfield of resuscitation looking at opioid overdose cardiac arrest. And so what can I give you as a clinical takeaway? I would encourage you in your practice, if you see opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients, to strongly consider TTM for these patients. I don't see a good reason to exclude them. That is to say, there's nothing about an opioid overdose that contraindicates TTM or makes TTM more risky or more adverse. So I would strongly encourage you to consider this therapy, and, and we use it for all of our opioid overdose cardiac arrest patients who get their pulse back. Now, of course, what we really need is a randomized trial for this subgroup. That may be very difficult to do for a variety of reasons. I think no hospital center gets enough of these patients with their pulse back, so it would have to be a multi-center effort with all the logistics and costs associated. So those of you who are waiting for that randomized trial, you may have to wait for years, um, and it may never come. So what I do think we will see, and I encourage those of you out there who have access to these sort of data, is more single-center publications or more cohort publications. We need to accumulate a, albeit lower quality body of evidence, but at least a body of evidence from multiple centers to support this therapy so that we can go to committees in our hospital and say, we think these patients should receive this therapy and here's why. At least that's my opinion. And so I encourage you to read these papers. You can find, again, the links in the show notes and consider TTM for patients following opioid overdose cardiac arrest. So Felipe, I think that summarizes these three publications and uh, I will turn it back to you for some closing remarks. All right. So there you go. Consider TTM in patients recovered from cardiac arrest due to opioid overdose. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PenTTM, where you can send us your questions, ideas, and requests for future discussions. 
the TTM Academy will be hosting a breakfast symposium at the Neurocritical Care Society meeting in Vancouver on October 16th. Check the website for details about that and other events coming up. That's all for today. Don't forget to check the website and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.